Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the football history dude, and I'm coming to you with another FHD vault episode for you. So this past weekend, if you're listening to this in the future, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about, was the epic showdown between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, where Magic Mahomes and Andy Reid came out on top. But that wasn't the only celebration from this past weekend. We got to introduce and welcome a new class into the Hall of Fame. Well, they're not enshrined yet, but that will be this upcoming year. But one of those members is longtime, what many people feel, snubbed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Mr. Ken Riley, longtime cornerback for the Cincinnati Bengals. He finally gets enshrined and got the call. So why not have this week's episode of FHD Vault be where I interviewed his son, Ken Riley II. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On January 18, 1983, what many thought was a wrong in the Olympic world was made right. Legendary Jim Thorpe, yes, that Jim Thorpe, had his 1912 Olympic gold medals reinstated posthumously, 30 years after his passing. In this week's episode, we talk about a wrong that I believe needs to be made right, and in the end, it revolves around the same statue of, you guessed it, Jim Thorpe. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the date is December 17th, 1983, and we're in the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome parking lot. We're here to close out the 1983 season for the Cincinnati Bengals. But more importantly for this episode, this was the last game for Ken Riley, one of the baddest dudes to patrol the defensive backfield in the 1970s and early 80s. Ken Riley played cornerback for the Cincinnati Bengals for 15 years, amassing a whopping 65 total interceptions during this time. He is currently tied for fifth all-time. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? But this brings us to why we used the introduction in the episode. Something else that happened in 1983. You see, back in 1912, going even further back, Jim Thorpe dominated the Stockholm Olympics. And then King Gustav V declared to him, Sir, you are the greatest athlete in the world. He won two gold medals. However... 
he had the medal stripped away not too long after his return to America because it was found out that he broke this amateur status from some playing minor league baseball for pay. Fast forward to 1983. The Olympic Committee officially reinstated Thorpe's medals, something that many thought to be long overdue. And we've talked about legendary Jim Thorpe on numerous occasions in this podcast. I mean, a statue of Jim Thorpe is in the hallowed halls of the Professional Football Hall of Fame. And this is where our story collides. The past meets the present. It is believed by many that Ken Riley belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It almost seems like fate that the year that he retired was the same year the man with the statue in the hall had his medals reinstated although it was 30 years after he passed. I hope this episode helps push the pendulum closer to getting Ken Riley in the Hall of Fame. Listen to his son in this episode to learn some more. And then I urge you to do some research on your own. And speaking of research, I left some good links on the website for you to start with. And by the way, you can get through the website through your podcast player or by heading to str- or by heading straight to sportshistorynetwork.com. Also, I ask that you please help support this podcast by subscribing for free and leaving an honest review in the podcast app of choice. But for now, let's get into the story of Ken Riley. Hit the website. Um, I'm going to link out to whatever else kind of makes sense. Like I've seen some really good Bengals posts, of course, and and that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of the a lot of the thing I want to do here is just like what I've seen that you want to do. You want to continue to get his name out there and, and right or wrong as far as the Hall of Fame and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that that's really my main focus to uh to keep his name out there and eventually I'm I'm praying one day he's he actually uh gets in. So that's my that's been my main uh focus. Even when he was still here, that's what I, I really uh focus on and um Eventually, I, I think he will get in there. But like I said, it's a lot of other deserving people. So I know that, you know, things happen. It just takes time. So, yeah, I, it's a tough one because there are so many deserved people. Like you said, um, I will tell you, I've had a few different Hall of Fame voters on my show. And recently, the one that just came out, Rick Goslin, that came out today. Your father's name was one of them that he brought up. Like I'm, I, I asked them, like, who's someone that you wish would be in the hall that you think deserves it, and they're not, they haven't made it yet. And and I've heard the name multiple times before I knew who the man was, kind of thing. Yeah, and it, <clears throat> in the last couple of years, it actually uh, maybe about two or three years ago, he started gaining some traction, uh, and his name started coming up more and more. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's just the process and. A lot of times, especially with the uh, the senior process, is kind of like kind of hush. You know, you don't really know the criteria. You don't really know until like they say they just show the result. So it's a little bit different versus the you know the guys that are going in outside of the uh, I mean the senior committee. Yeah, it's it's something that I knew nothing about until I started my podcast, and then I still I only know like this much compared to what is really going on. Um, uh, going back though, let's like let's let's take this back. So I want to kind of make this almost a, like a chronological order as well. Uh, one of the questions I had for you is, what's the earliest memory that you had of watching your father play when he was in the league? Uh, seemed like I always remembered. So I don't know what age I was. I know my grandmother used to tell stories that. Uh, well, we actually lived in Florida, so um, I didn't see all of his games. I would, you know to see Tampa Bay because we live like 30, 30, 38 miles outside of Tampa. 
So we will always see the butts. So I would look for the highlights. But um, I have to say maybe six or seven. Um, you know, I always love football, of course, just uh, and just keeping up with them and watching and waiting for, uh, you know, them to show the, the results of other games or they'll show like a highlight, you know, in between the Tampa game. I'm always looking to see if I can see him. So uh, those are the things that really uh, stand out in my mind. It would have been cool if you would have had NFL ticket back then so you could have watched all of his games. That would have been so awesome. Uh, definitely. Uh, I think about that now. I'm like, man, if I wish I had that when he was playing, though, because like I said, I, I didn't get to see majority of his games. And that's something that I really, even when I crafted that question in my head, it didn't even cross my mind that, oh, yeah, that's like back in the day, they didn't have that opportunity to right. be able to watch any game they wanted. <laughs> yes, it was... You know, like I said, you'd be looking. I remember Brent Musburger or somebody called Pat Summer. You know, I'm just looking to see if I could just see a glimpse of 13 coming across the screen. So that's what I, you know, I remember a lot. Yeah, and I mean, so going back to his college days, it was at was it Florida A and M? Is that where yeah. I saw? Uh huh. Yeah. But he was a quarterback though, wasn't he? Not a cornerback. Quarterback never played uh, defense in college at all. Um, so. Strictly a quarterback. Uh, he likes to tell you that he was pampered uh, as a quarterback. So uh, he tells a story when he first uh, got to Florida A&M and uh, they had him running the scout team and they switched him over to defense. And the first play, they ran like a sweep or something. And he said he saw the lineman pulling, coming towards him. And he turned around and started running with the lineman. And so the coach was like, that's it. Get him out of here. And, like you know, he stayed. They, they kept him at a quarterback. So. One of those things, too, that I wonder how much that played into effect when he moved into the defensive back role of being that used to be in the general on the field and having the mind of where the ball is going to go. It had to have helped him. Uh, I think so. He, I think he was a student of the game and he was uh, very smart. He was also a candidate role scholar. So uh, I think he was able to pick up things uh, quickly. So I definitely think that 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 helped him uh, doing that transition. Kind of reminds me of, uh, so I had an episode on Sammy Baugh. This is a long time ago mm-hmm. when uh, I was actually doing solo episodes. And I saw one year Sammy Baugh had the, the, the hat trick. He had the most touchdown passes. Then on defense, he had the most interceptions. And then he also was like the punt leader for the year. It's like, you know, just that he had that thing. And that's what he said. As a quarterback, I was on the defense. I knew where the guy was going with the ball right. kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> And then how did that transition happen? So he was quarterback, comes out of Florida A&M. What was the sixth round that I saw he got drafted? Sixth round. Um, he didn't have a choice. Uh, he said when he uh, arrived at Cincinnati and Paul Brown said, you're going to be a cornerback. So it wasn't like he was given an option to, to you know, try as a quarterback. That was the same year uh, where they had uh, Greg Cook. So he, he, he said that he always just say that he felt that uh, – he was the second best quarterback, you know, outside of Greg Cook. And he, he kind of said his game kind of uh, mirrors uh, today's uh, uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle. Oh, okay. So I, I, knew, I knew he was a scrambler and could say he could throw on the run. So, But that's that's who he said his game as a quarterback was that pattern after, like, uh, Russell Wilson. So he he's pretty had a, he had a good arm and everything. Like, he actually was – initially drafted to be a quarterback or was did automatically they thought he was gonna be defensive back no they automatically thought a defensive back they just saw the athlete and okay. uh but they they had no intentions of uh him playing um quarterback 
I mean, when legendary Paul Brown says you're going to do something, he gives you opportunity. I guess it's kind of you got to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. It was like, okay, you're playing court, uh, Divas are back, and that was that was it. Yeah, I mean, it worked out, obviously. I uh, had yeah. <laughs> quite a few interceptions. I saw that he's tied for fifth all time with most of those names up there. I knew even before I started a football history podcast, and uh, that's one reason why I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about all the interceptions and all of these other things, yet how did they not relate into the Hall of Fame? I mean, let's go back to the interception. Mm-hmm. Uh, 65 of them. Just getting one, that, that's a tough challenge as is in the NFL. How, how hard is it for you, you think, to get an interception in the NFL? Well, extremely hard. Um, even though I think they're throwing the ball a lot more. And at the time of his retirement, he was fourth all the time. And then uh, Rod Woodson uh, passed him up and I moved him down to fifth. But, I mean, it's extremely hard. And actually, like, one of the um, my arguments is that He's the number two corner because he never – a lot of those guys ahead of him, uh, Raw Wilson included, they actually switched to safety uh, later on in their careers. But he, 15 years, was on that corner. So uh, uh, he's the number two all-time interception leader if you look strictly as a cornerback. So um, I think that uh, that is a heck of a number there. Um, and I don't care they say longevity, but and he played for a long time. But that goes – that says a lot, too, about, you know, the work he put in to maintain his body and uh, stay in shape and do that for 15 years. So, I mean, that's that's a long time. And every time I think about it now and then, when I started playing myself, uh, I realized, like, man, this is hard. I only had uh, four total – uh, my whole college career. So I'm like, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, to be. And then in his 15th year, having so many interceptions alone, where you know that most of that had to be upstairs and how he got those interceptions. I yeah. Mean, yeah. You're right. He had to have been like a, just a, a genius on the field. And I, some of my argument to help you out there would be a good portion of his career. So I, I calculated it out. It was like 4.3 or 4.4 something per year, right? Right. But a lot of his career, he only had 14 games in a season. So you got to grade that on a curve. Yeah. So it's like all these factors, again, going back, I don't see any correlation why that number doesn't relate to the eligibility to get that gold bust or the Browns bust. I'm sorry, the gold jacket that is. So yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Like I can say it is it, to me, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Uh, like I say, I don't care if if you're in the top five of any anywhere you work out of all time, like the history of it. I mean, I don't, I think that that's deserving. I don't care if you played twenty. If you if you say longevity is the reason, I mean, it still takes a lot to even play that long and then perform at that level. His last two years, he led the AFC conference in interceptions, and that's at thirty five and thirty six. Uh, so. Like I said, when I look back at it, that's just that's just mind-boggling how he was able uh, to do that and probably could have stuck around a couple more years to, you know, even move up even even further. Because he always – one of the things, he always stayed in shape. I mean, he he, he worked out back then, like, uh, around the clock, was always, like I said, a student of the game, always in shape. So, um like I said, I have a lot of respect for him and what he what he's able to accomplish. Yeah, and I've only been able to 
just through articles. I mean, it's not fair for me to even compare my learning to your on the field with him experience, but I, that's the same sentiment that I get when I look through the articles and when I read other people talking about not just him and his career, but him as the man, it just definitely, uh, I, th- I think you had a good one. There's what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And with that, you were able to um, have a unique experience that most people don't. And when you went into college and uh, how did that, how, how was that dynamic having your father as a coach? Uh, I guess it was a blessing and a curse at first because, uh, you know, uh, initially it was definitely uh, something where I had to go in and prove myself because I, I knew that there were going to be some, you know, some comments about nepotism and, you know, you know, you only got a scholarship because your dad and, you know, so, you know, when things go wrong too, especially in the other part of it is just like being that even if I wasn't playing the, uh, the, the son of a coach, because, you know, when you're not losing, you're losing, you hear all these comments, you hear stuff on the radio, you, there's not an escape from it. So then playing, it was a little bit easier. Cause at least I had, uh, I can control some of the stuff when I'm going out on the field, but it was a, a awesome experience to be able to uh, play for him. Uh, my decision to go there was because, we played the same position. I didn't think that I can get any better, uh, you know, teaching from the person that, you know, had 65 interceptions. So uh, it was a no brainer for me to uh, play for my father. Were there any life lessons that you gained that you think you could have only gained on the field from him versus as a father or was it intermingled? Um. I don't know. Uh, like I say, it was more my dad never pushed me into it. Uh, and sometimes I, I think that that was like, uh, I wish he would have because uh, he never pushed me to go into it. It was something I always wanted to play. He actually didn't allow me to play football until the ninth grade. So all those times I had uh, guys playing uh, Pop Warner football and all these things, and I would beg, beg every year to, to play, and the answer was always no. So, um, it was uh, it was something I always wanted to do, but then as I started playing, he would tell me, "Hey, you need to run track." Uh, he would tell me that, "Hey, you need to do this," but he never forced it on me. So that's the part I was like, I wish because I did, I wanted to play. I wish he would have forced me to run track. I wish he'd have forced me to actually put in more work at the time uh, because uh, I think that would have I would have developed even more, and definitely. Um, that track was something I wish I would have done. Uh, <laughs> listen a little bit more. So. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we always look back and we have the wishes and the 2020 lenses and everything. And I myself, I like I had some talent when it came to playing sports, but I never took that extra edge where I would in the off season practice and do yeah, all the training. And so yeah. I really wish I would have more. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I try to tell my boys now, they they still don't see it. I'm like it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So you got to put right. in, you got to put in the work. You know, all everybody likes to see the end result, but the the great ones put in the work, and uh, it's like they do it when nobody's watching. Yeah, I mean, going back to say great ones and the whole Jerry Rice. I mean, I was understanding that he's one of the hardest workers there was. Period in the game. Yeah, and look what yeah. happened there. <laughs> yeah, and and growing up, I didn't realize. I just thought, like I said, it was. It didn't seem like it was hard. Like I said, I remember us riding in the car while he's running, uh, you know, me just going out and just, I mean, like I said, he was always constantly running, constantly mm-hmm. in shape. And I just, you know, I just, I didn't 
think about it like it was work because he didn't make it seem like he just he just did it. So um, and then when I started playing, I'm like, man, this was this is tough. This is this is hard. So he definitely was like I said, he definitely stayed in shape. So that was one of the things that I admired about him. Speaking of the 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 wide receivers there and Jerry Rice, uh, I have a question from the guy that I said that had the podcast, uh, Joe Zagorski there. Uh-huh. I asked him because I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to have Ken's uh, son on. And I, I said, why don't you give me a question? And one of them he had was basically he wanted to know because he, he his podcast is mostly all about the 70s. So okay. he, he talks about 70s football at today's end. Uh what would like has he ever talked about or did he ever talk to you about wide receivers that he covered all the great ones and which one maybe gave him the most fits or anything like that yeah and it's funny because you know as i got older and as we used to talk then we really could have conversations because i understood what it uh what it take but uh honestly the best why okay he said uh paul warfield he said he was definitely uh one of the top bar receivers he was like every route looked the same he was just very uh smooth uh john stallworth you know they played him twice a year uh stood out um but the 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 number one guy that he said he would always say this and he said i mean he would just say this is that the baddest wide receiver he went he went against was the one he went in practice every day is isaac curtis it's like Isaac Curtis. He, I mean, he was a track star from, uh, I believe, San Diego State. But he was like Isaac didn't get enough credit, and uh, was he was that guy, you know? So, uh, but I know, like I said, Paul Warfield, uh, John Stallworth, um, and Isaac. Those are the three that really stand out to me that he always kind of mentioned. What about quarterbacks? Did he ever bring up which ones or he thought were the legendary ones? We didn't really talk about quarterback so much, but he would always mention um, the guy I just told you about the quarterback that uh, uh, that was injured. Uh, his his uh, they came out the same year. Uh, who did I just say the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals? He was. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. <sighs> I can't think of his name <laughs> now. But they came out the same year, and his career was ended because of shoulder injury, mm. and he was like. I'm about to look it up now, but <laughs> he always said that if they probably would have won several Super Bowls, he would have never got hurt. The Bengals. Um, he was that good. He thought. Yeah, he was that good. He was uh, really that good. But we we didn't really talk about quarterbacks too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially because, like you said, you you went into that same position and that the craft was against that wide receiver. And what I, I hear, so I, I listen to different kinds of podcasts about fantasy football, which doesn't always necessarily directly relate to regular football. Right. But do you believe that talent makes more of a difference in say the cornerback position versus other positions sometimes, or is it really like, cause in running backs, they say you can plug and play. I mean, I'm, I'm using right. that very cautious or uh, loosely, but cornerbacks and receivers, it seems like the talent really makes a lot of a difference. Yeah. Well, what I would say, and my dad, me and my dad always say that I really think that the, the deepest of back position, uh, those guys are the most athletic, uh, because they have to be able to run just as fast backwards as they do forward. They have to be able to change directions. They definitely have to be, you know, fast, just like a wide receiver. They definitely have to have hands like a wide receiver. They have to, you know, change directions like running back. So we always thought that the um, 
the defensive backs were the best uh, athletes on the field. And a lot of times they were so vulnerable because most, a lot of defensive backs always started off at like quarterbacks, like Dion was a quarterback in high school. Uh, there's a lot of different other uh, athletes that were quarterbacks in high school and then transitioned to that defensive back. So that just shows how uh, athletic a lot of a lot of the defensive backs are. They play wide receiver, they play running back. And uh, so I definitely think that uh, the defensive back position, a lot of times those guys are the most athletic uh, out there on the field. Did you have any other, I don't know, favorite players growing up other than watching your dad? Yeah, I actually, my favorite player, I mean, well, of course my dad was my favorite, but the guy <laughs> that I watched uh, that I wanted to go to SMU was because of Eric Dickerson. Uh, he was my uh, favorite uh, player at uh, the Pony Express. Him and uh, uh, Craig James, uh, they they formed the Pony Express. I know you're kind of younger, but those guys, uh, he, uh, I, I was all set to go to SMU because of uh, Eric Dickerson. Yeah, I, I used to live in the Dallas area, so I drove one time on the SMU campus. And I'm like, what? I didn't even realize they had a school over right. here. Yeah, it's a private <laughs> school. It's a, it's a, it's a smaller school, but uh, yeah, that was, they were tough back in the day. Then they got into all those, um, that, the, uh, the death penalty and all that kind of stuff. They were doing some crazy stuff. I don't know if you ever seen the, uh, 30 for 30 on that. I haven't seen the 30 for 30, but I've yeah. heard of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, they were tough. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh going back and like the driving around and stuff i i seen the website ken riley golf tournament yes is that something that you still do nowadays or oh, i mean i don't know with this year but well that's interesting that you, you bring that up because i was just thinking about it um i we have been going back and forth i've been going back and forth with my mom and my sisters and I think we're going to try to do it this year. Uh, we already, he was already planning up doing it for this year, but of course, um, with uh, COVID-19, uh, he was unable to do so. So I would like to see it continue. Uh, it was definitely uh, starting to grow. Um, he always had a lot of his former players come back and a lot of guys that played in the, the, the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, and it was, it was definitely growing and growing again, bigger and bigger each year. So, uh, that's something I would like to uh, try to continue. What What's the purpose of the uh, the golf tournament there? Um, he had a, a Ken Raleigh Foundation. It it, it goes to uh, kids uh, that um, who maybe that that maybe weren't looking at maybe going to a four year college, but maybe going into like trades. So he would he would raise that money for um, a lot of the underprivileged kids, and uh, so they can uh, like yeah, it's called the EPAC, and I can't recall what what it stands for right now because they they had it, but uh, I know one of the things with that golf tournament went towards that that EPAC foundation that he he started, and he was very uh, to the to his last days was always involved in the community and giving back and really. Um, even when he was uh, the dean of one of Haven High School, uh, just, you know, wanted to be there and assist, you know, kids and make sure that their futures were, were bright. So he, he definitely was involved in the community, a leader in the community, and wanted to see uh, kids have the opportunities to, to, to grow and become something out of themselves. Yeah, just going back again, like I started off the interview with, he just – Everything that I've seen, it seems like he's just a good dude, I guess, yeah. is a, a way to sum it up in a couple words. And 
you know, I hope that everything that we do here can at least push a little bit closer to the pendulum of swing it to the other side. So he does get in. Um, there anything that, that you would like from the listeners of the show to be able to help or push in the right direction or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I, like he always said, I like to say the numbers speak for himself, but a lot of times, like I said, I know there are arguments against, Oh, it was just longevity. Uh, then the other argument was that he played on the other side of uh, Lamar Paris. Uh, I, I've heard all the arguments, but like I said, unless you've actually played it, I mean, this is the highest level. Uh, this is the NFL. They've been in existence now a hundred years, and to be the top five and the number four at the time of of when you retire, and then on top of that, like I said, to be the number two all time for pure corners, uh, to have that many interceptions, I don't care if you. I mean, it's I don't un, I don't understand. I know some that have less interceptions. I know some that say not not make impacts. He was just. He was consistently doing his job. I mean, you can talk to the players that played with him in that area. They would validate what I'm saying. So a lot of times it, it, it comes down to the media, the, the the popularity. And like I said, the Bengals were Cincinnati, a smaller market. Um, they really didn't publicize their players like a lot of other teams do. And like I said, and they, they haven't won. And I think that that hurt. Like I said, I think that hurts uh, Ken Anderson. He's another one that's deserving. Uh, Lamar Paris deserves to be uh, uh, being there as well. Uh, Isaac Curtis, like I said, he never gets mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of great players um, that, like I said, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, if you're in a smaller market or you're not one of the ones that are popular or your team is not pushing for it, you kind of get lost in the shuffle. And then – if if people that are not students, like I'm glad that you actually, like I said, you, you you learn the history of the sport and you actually do your homework and start hearing about some of these guys. Like, wait a minute, this guy has this amount of numbers. And like he was playing in the seven. He was in the toughest division with the Steelers because the Steelers were, you know, pretty much winning every other year. But people don't realize that during the time the Steelers were winning, the Bengals owned them. The Bengals would had a better record against the Steelers during that time, but they just, you know, so it, it's, it's unfortunate. Like I say, a lot of times it, a lot of good players get lost like that when it's, I mean, say it maybe not one of the popular players. So. Yeah, it's a challenging one. And I understand too, that every year more senior eligible players get put into the pool. So then you're shuffling things around. And uh, again, I I'll do everything we can through this network to be able to continue to promote his eligibility. Cause um, you know, until I can find somebody that's, you know, unless I can find a whole handful or truckload of people I feel are more uh, deserving, then I got to at least put my, my flag there. So <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. And like I said, I just joined Twitter maybe like after this passing because I started seeing some stuff, but, um, and I started doing more, you know, I've emailed all of the, the senior committee, um, voters and most like 80% of them say, Hey, if your dad, you know, gets in the, into that room, you know, we would support him. It's just getting into the room. And uh, so I really pray and hope that he gets in. Uh, I think this last time uh, was the closest that he ever got. I heard it was like neck and neck. I mean, that's just what I read between uh, him and Drew Pearson. So I don't know how true that was. But uh, so I heard he he's, he's inching close and it's just unfortunate, like I said, uh, when he does get in, because I'm staying positive that he will, I, I, that he will get in, but he won't be able to uh, 
to uh, to see it. So that's 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 the only um, negative about it. Well, I have a, a question that I ask every guest, and I would say let let's take my DeLorean to the future to the the actual ceremony of when it happens. But let's go backwards. I'm going to give you the keys to my DeLorean right now. <laughs> go back in any point. Generally, I say any point in NFL history, but because you have a special circumstance, you can go to any game and you can play on the other side of your dad. What game? You, or what game or what team you're going to play against as a teammate of his? I'm I'm a teammate with him, or yeah, yeah like he, you're on the you're on the other cornerback spot, yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I would have to, like I said, since they were the the, the dynasty team, it would probably have to be uh, the the Steelers, you know, against Bradshaw and Lynn Swan and uh, Stallworth and uh, Franco Harris and all of those guys. So that's that's probably where I would. Uh, sounds a little intimidating now that I think about it, but yeah, that would uh, <laughs> right. That would be a, a fun game to, to to play in. Wouldn't that be cool though if you were able to actually go back and play, you know, side by side with your dad like that? Uh, that'd be awesome. And and I I, I, I was looking for the pictures that we were talking because I did like a side by side comparison. And um, like I said, our stance was like almost identical. Uh, so I'm like, is it? It was honestly going up in high school. I didn't like playing defensive back. I'd rather play wide receiver, and that's what I played uh, all throughout high school. And just because my school was so small, we only at one time we only had thirteen players, so we had to go both ways. It wasn't it wasn't like a choice, <laughs> right? No uh, options. Yeah, if it was my choice, I would just play wide receiver. Uh, and then when I got to um, college, it was more of like we were like loaded at wide receiver. I think like three or four of those guys ended up making it to the NFL. That's how deep you were. Wow. Receiver. So it was more like uh, it's too deep over there. It's like, you know, deep as a back would be the, the obvious choice. And it was it was natural for me. Like I said, I didn't I didn't even play until the ninth grade. And I didn't really start playing demons back until I got to college. Uh, I played, like I said, I played in high school, but not – that wasn't my main position. My main position was wide receiver. So uh, just – transition to defensive back was like seamless for me a lot of it just came natural it wasn't that it wasn't hard for me uh so you did get invited to uh, one of the training camps didn't you i did i actually came to cincinnati uh i was in the nfl combines uh in 94 and that's where that track comes in but i was i, I got hurt my senior year like the last two years and uh I hurt my hamstring. And if I would have known today, I would have never run at the combines because I wasn't ready for one. And most times people don't even run the combines because it's electronic and you just feel more comfortable at your own facility. So, uh, but yeah, I was up in the 1994 combine. I was up and I actually was in Cincinnati when uh, Kajana Connor was the first pick. So I was up in the mini camp. Uh, David Shuler was the coach. Uh, Ron Meeks was the secondary coach. Uh, so yeah, I was up in Cincinnati for that, that mini camp. I remember Kajana Carter. I had like thirty-eight of his rookie cards. It seemed like they came in every pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, he got it's unfortunate he got hurt like one of the first game or something. So it's just crazy. It's just injuries play a big part in it. You're talking to a guy who uh, I don't know if you saw my cup here, but I'm a Lions fan. So uh, me growing up, it was Barry Sanders and the Lions. Like oh, I was born in '85, so there's yeah. like 
that's all I had my whole life until you retired. And of course, then I'm in shambles. But like, what's going to happen from there? Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> all the great ones seem like to retire early from Detroit. Same thing with uh, Megatron. You know, they still like seem like they have yeah. some left in the tank. But yeah, I would have loved to. Even if he had to go to another team, both of them to get that ring, I would have. Right. You know, it's like get the ring. I both of you deserve it, kind of thing. And yeah. Megatron this year, he's eligible is it this year or next i think it's this upcoming year he's eligible right, to be so. voted for the same year as peyton and charles woodson and, and those guys so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see um yeah. again i i don't know if i could i can understand the argument of he's on the opposite side of your dad he had less seasons uh, versus longevity yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but he definitely changed the game he definitely was a game changer though um so uh i i think he 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 does but you know like i said it's it all depends on voters and how they feel. So right, yeah. And again, we'll go back to. I'll we're gonna leave this out there. I'll 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 try to get as much traction as we can. Not saying that I'm like a. I'm not like what do they call it? A, a deal maker, move maker, shaker, <laughs> whatever they call that. I don't well, know. Any, any news? I, like, <laughs> I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, when you reached out to him, I'm like, of course, anything I can do. And I, I mean, I honestly really do appreciate when you know I, I get tweets or I hear people are talking about my father because like I said it. It, um, I say, I I really appreciate that. That really means a lot. You know, I do actually have another guy that might want to bring you on his show on my network. He has a show called football, this family, uh, Jeremy McFarlane. He's, he's a Nashville, he's Tennessee fan, but he likes to have one part of like, he'll go through each episode. It's like a, a quick little brief history of the team. And then he'll have a interview of one person and why that team is their family. Like for you, the Bengals would make sense, even though. You know, it's a different kind of dynamic there. So right. he might he might be interested in something like that. Of course, then we work in the the Hall of Fame thing. Right. So yeah, um, yeah, I'll I'll let you if you're interested. I can yeah, I can let him know. Yeah, long, whatever I can do to keep his name out, that that is something I definitely um want to continue to do. It, has anybody ever approached you to write a book about him by any chance? No, um, no, and I I don't think anybody approached him about writing his book. Uh, I just read um. Reggie Williams' book, that was his roommate. They were really, uh, really good friends. My father was uh, one of the godfathers to uh, one of his sons. And um, uh, Reggie just came up with a book called uh, Relentless. And uh, it was it was a great book. And uh, I admire Reggie a lot, too, because he, my dad always said he was the toughest uh, player that uh, he played with because uh, Roger was a linebacker, inside linebacker for Cincinnati. So uh, they they played together for I guess nine years or so. So um, they were very close. And uh, but now it's definitely a great book. So, um, but yeah, no, nobody's ever. Okay, well, one thing I want to say too before we get into the post stuff is, uh, do you have any last words of wisdom for the listeners of the show? Well, I just say do your homework sometimes and not listen to uh, what others say. And like I said, I know there's always different arguments and everybody has, you know, that guy or that team that, you know, they root for. But I'm like, I just I just can't 65 top five all time. I don't see how you can argue against that. And that's all time that ever played in the National Football League. Like I said, sometimes uh, a lot of times they only play 14 um 14 games uh he played corner all the way through no he didn't switch to safety when he got older he led the afc conference the last two years um and they weren't throwing the ball 
50 to 60 times. Like, what, what's the kid that just threw the ball 60 times? Or the uh, Cincinnati quarterback uh, just threw the ball. Oh, Bur- uh, Burrow? <laughs> yeah, Burrow. I, I like him, too. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. But uh, he just threw it 60 times. So they're not – they wasn't throwing the ball back then like they were then. Um, and, like I said, the argument that he was playing against – he played on the other side of Lamar Paris is – doesn't make sense either because if you're saying that, oh, they didn't throw at Lamar and they threw at my dad, he still had to be in a position to make those plays. Where are all the cornerbacks that played on the opposite side of uh, Deion Sanders? Are they, do they have those numbers? So you can't say, uh, well, he played on the opposite side and they threw at him. Well, of course, if they threw at him, he still had to be there to make those plays. So uh, like that argument doesn't make sense because, and he, I think he only played with Lamar for like nine years. So what happened to the, you know, the other six or seven years that he played? So in his last two, he led the conference. So you can't use that argument because he got better as he got older. I mean, he was more consistent. So um, it's just those little arguments that frustrate me because it doesn't really make sense if you truly under, you know, understand the game and really think about what you're saying. So it's, it's like I said, the numbers – Numbers speak for themselves. Like I said, his peers, like I said, you know, from even the Mel Blunts, the Lynn Starworths, a lot of his peers said that, you know, he was one of those guys. He was that guy. I mean, he wasn't flashy, uh, didn't do a lot of talking. I think a lot of times that was to his uh, detriment when it comes to situations like this. Even as he retired, you would never know my dad was fifth all time or even played the NFL unless – you know, you ask him. He wasn't boastful. He, I mean, that just wasn't his style. And I mean, it, it, it never was. And he felt that um, his numbers speak for himself. And like I said, even just the, the man himself, though, never got in any trouble off the field. Uh, all the things that he did for his community, he came, left Cincinnati, went back to his alma mater, Florida a uh, stayed there, uh, was a coach, and then transitioned to an athletic uh, administrator left Florida A&M and then went to Winter Haven and became a dean and uh, then later retired. But, I mean, it's like the, the man himself, too. I mean, that's some character that he played with some of the greatest coaches, Paul Brown, uh, Forrest Gregg to this day, um, God rest his soul, too. He passed away this year. Um, felt that he should have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's the only – even though he's not officially – they never officially retired his number, but – it's retired because nobody wears number 13. Um, um, Coach Brown said nobody would never wear uh, the number 13 again. So if you ever notice, there's nobody wearing that number. So it, it, it's, it, like I said, I can go on and on of, of not only that speaks to him as a player, but as a man, because a lot of uh, great people, uh, you know, held him in high regard as well as he held them in high regard. But I just, just goes to show a lot about, um, who he was as a person and who he was as a man. So uh, I am very uh, honored and proud of him. And like I said, and even if he was, like I said, I keep going back top five, man. That's that's uh, that's crazy. Sixty five, and we actually I have an actual picture with um, uh, my dad, uh, Paul, and Paul Krause. It was at uh, Larry Little's uh, golf tournament. So it was Kenny Houston was in the Hall of Fame. He was the safety for the Redskins and the Oilers. And then Paul Krause, who's the actual number one uh, interceptor with 81. And then uh, it was my dad. So it was over. I have a picture I call, like I said, uh, I forgot what I called it, but they had over 200 interceptions 
between the three of them. I can see that picture too, though. Uh, but it's um, I'm like 81 interceptions, and it took. Look how long it took him to get in. I, I don't understand that. If you can have anyone, 81 interceptions, and they they took forever to get him in the Hall of Fame. So it's, it's that that voting process is mind boggling to me. So there you go. Arguments against longevity, so the numbers may not seem as impressive. He played most of his career across the premier cornerback, but still, he was tied for fifth all-time in interceptions with 65. Should this be enough to get him in the hall? What say you? I'd love to hear your feedback and opinions for what you think about Ken Riley's bid for the Hall of Fame. You can do so over at the website, which is sportshistorynetwork.com the headquarters for your favorite sports yesteryear. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.